This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, I am told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It is episode 39 of the Play-By-Play cast. As always, thanks for joining us here on a Friday morning. Clicking subscribe or download on the podcast about Play-By-Play guys for Play-By-Play guys by a Play-By-Play guy. My name is Joel Godet. Thanks for subscribing, downloading. If you haven't already, go ahead. I'll give you a second here. You can put the iPhone down and then just uh, go back to like the homepage of the podcast, hit subscribe, and we're good to go. Uh, would really appreciate it. Also, uh, if you have a chance to rate or review the podcast, if you enjoy what we do here, take the second to throw some stars our way or write a sentence about what you enjoy or what you hate. Give us the feedback, for better or worse. We'll do this play-by-play style. Like, no shame here. Uh, <laughs> it's like when you're sending out a demo tape. Uh, if things are good, uh, give us a review that says, hey, things are good. If things are bad, give us a review that says, like, hey, he doesn't say time and score enough. Uh, but we'd appreciate the interaction as well. And you can find us on social media at PXPCast on Twitter. My handle is at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. You can uh, follow us, tweet us, direct message us, whatever you've got. Uh, would love to hear from you and interact with you as well. We'll get into today's guest. It's Alex Faust uh, coming up in just a second. But speaking of Twitter, I want to touch on something from last week's episode quickly as well. Uh, and I feel really badly about it tweeted out last week's episode and talked on the episode about uh, women's play-by-play voices that really have uh, made great strides as kind of trailblazers and glass ceiling breakers uh, over the last, I don't even want to put a time frame on it, but we'll say last decade or last, let's go last decade. And I said Beth Mowens, first and foremost, uh, Pam Ward was in that mix, uh, Kate Scott, people that have really carried some water for females doing play-by-play. And when I mentioned that on Twitter, and Kate Scott was the first one to do this, uh, they mentioned some of their mentors as female play-by-play announcers. And I wanted to to give them their due as well and uh, and give them the shout-outs that they got uh, from people on Twitter this past week and that they they rightly deserve here as well. Uh, A lot of them work for Pac-12 Network, uh, which I did not know, if I can claim ignorance there. There are a lot of female play-by-play announcers that call the Pac-12 network home. Uh, Anne-Marie Anderson, first and foremost amongst them. Uh, Krista Blunk is in that mix as well. Elise Woodward. Uh, Ann Schatz. I don't know how I forgot Ann Schatz. Uh, my first, one of my first jobs out of college was women's basketball play-by-play at the University of South Florida. And Ann Schatz used to do our games on TV every so often. She would come do them with Brooke Ricebrod. Uh, so Ann Schatz, uh, give her the shout-out as well. People that have carried the water uh, and really blazed a path for females as play-by-play announcers over the last several years. Uh, this is It's been an ongoing climb and fight and battle as more uh, females have taken on uh, play-by-play roles. If you've never seen Ann Schatz, by the way, her work, the 30 for 30 by ESPN about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Ann Schatz is featured prominently in that. 
as uh, a reporter that dealt with that story a lot. So uh, if you're not familiar with Ann Schatz's work uh, and you want a glimpse into it, the, the best place I know off the top of my head, the easiest place I know to go find her, uh, if you go YouTube or on-demand search that, that 30 for 30, there's a lot of Ann Schatz in there as well, and that can kind of be a four-way, uh, 4A for you. So I did want to go ahead and give them uh, the recognition that they have rightfully earned and rightfully deserve as well that I left out of our conversation here on the podcast last week. Uh, that being said, we move on to today's guest, and it is another one of the up-and-coming bright stars of this industry. We've had a lot of them on the podcast, and it was fun to be able to sit down and talk to Alex Faust, who has done a lot of different things for a lot of different networks in a very short amount of time, ranging uh, a lot of college basketball, but a lot of college hockey for Nesson, for Fox, for ESPN. Uh, he's bounced around a lot, but his story is interesting because as we found out a lot on this podcast, uh, there is no one way to get to any in particular place in this industry. And that is again the case on a very unique path with Alex Faust because he didn't go to school with the mindset of broadcaster, broadcaster, broadcaster. Uh, he went to school and got a regular normal person degree uh, and, then, and then out of college got a regular normal person job and did broadcasting. Kind of timely, about like a week and a half behind, but kind of timely. Uh, Alex Faust's first job out of college was at PricewaterhouseCooper, the accounting firm that handles the Oscars. Moonlight, La La Land, all of that stuff. Uh, we taped this before the Oscars, so we don't talk about it on the podcast. Um, he's been gone from there long enough. I, I do not think he had anything to do <laughs> with, with La La Land thinking it won uh, Best Picture. Uh, but it would have been fun had we taped this after the Oscars to ask what he knows about that and when he knew it. We'll do that like government investigation style. What did you know? When did you know it? So we don't talk about that uh, side of things in the Oscar snafu, but uh, we do talk a lot about PricewaterhouseCooper and what it was like for Alex Faust doing broadcasting in college, but then getting a regular person job and still doing broadcasting and pursuing it. I don't even want to say on the side, but kind of as a co-job, and then eventually how he wound up being a broadcaster full-time. That's the beginning of our conversation. We dovetail off into some conversations about broadcasting hockey, the intricacies of that. Um, I kind of, I, I might call it a niche sport, sort of accidentally. Uh, my apologies to any hockey fans, but, uh, but that might happen in this podcast. Uh, but we talk about a lot of different things with Alec Faust, and I'm exciting that uh, he could join us and, uh, and be uh, on the podcast. So with that being said, let's dive right into our conversation, uh, starting with PricewaterhouseCooper and what it's like having a regular guy job uh, trying to break into the play-by-play -play industry at really the highest of levels. Here's Alex Faust on Play-by-Play -play Cast. Hey, can we st How old are you? I'm 28. How crazy is the last six years to you been? Bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> totally bonkers. Um, I, I believe me, if you were to talk to me six years ago and five years ago and four years ago, three, I, I wouldn't have guessed um, any of this um, or any of where my career has taken me so far. So it's been, been uh, a fun ride. I'm just you know, enjoying it. At the, at the end of the day, I'm just enjoying it. So what was the plan for you? Because I, I know, and I didn't know this until I was reading up to, to talk to you for the podcast, um, that you graduated with an econ degree, and, and I think you went to school for poli-sci, too. 
Yeah. Um, Did you want to be a full-time broadcaster, or was that something that was an interest and then just developed? I mean, in Dreamland, yeah, sure. Um, I, I was the funny thing is, I, I did student radio, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll make this a career, maybe I won't. Um, I, I was, I was really wishy-washy on you know, whether to fully commit because I just didn't, I didn't believe in myself very much in college. Um, I, I just thought, well, you know, maybe I'm good enough for this, but probably not. So let's just do the, you know, the safe thing and let's get a good degree and get a good job. And that's what I did that, you know, when 2011, I, I, you know, just had, uh, I had won the Jim Nance award and I was still saying to myself, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll putz around in some other career and, you know, if we do something, then great. If not, okay. And you know, obviously, you know, things lead to uh, different places and, now I'm in it full time. I wouldn't have ever guessed it. How long did you work at Price Waterhouse, Cooper? Four years, about four years and a month. Um, four or five, I can't even at this point. Um, yeah, I started there in 2012 and, and just left there this fall. So yeah, four, four years and a month. Um, and, and that was the first job offer I got out of college. It was quite literally one of the, when I was applying for jobs, that was the first one to come in. So I was like, yep. I'm there. <laughs> what did you do? How do you balance that? And, and how did they work with you as far as, because I mean, if you just gave that up not that long ago, you're doing some, I mean, serious broadcast work while you're still holding that down. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because at first I, I thought, well, you know, how much do I want to share and how much do I want to make it seem like, Ooh, am I really committed to this career path? Even though, you know, I, I, I say all the right things and do all the right things and everyone's got a, a dream that they want to, to chase um you know I, I was still very much committed to that job but at the same time I, you know i would just stockpile vacation days and plot it out pretty strategically i mean last year last year was a bit much um i wound up doing 30 odd tv games and a lot of them on weeknights so i would literally some days for a game fly out morning of get the shoot around probably take some a conference call for my day job in the afternoon, if not take a vacation day, do the game, hop on a plane the next morning, fly back, be in the office the next day. It, it was literally nonstop for four months. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I did it because this summer was easy to just focus on just the day job. Um, but man, that, that stretch, it, it, it was tough because it, it burnt me out after a little while. Um, I'm glad I did it because, you know, there's nothing like having job security when you're a freelancer and a, a pretty generous salary to go back to and, and lean on. Um, so I never had to worry in, in that respect, but, um, I, I would totally do it again if I had the chance. Um, cause it just, it provided a lot of flexibility that I otherwise wouldn't have had to pursue different gigs and try different things. What'd you do with Price Waterhouse Cooper? I was just a data analyst. Um, I mostly work with, well, you want the boring spiel or the, uh, with the 30 second elevator pitch? I mean, we're on a um, podcast so we can go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially what I did was, a consultant would get hired by a widget making company to observe and improve their supply chain. So from sourcing materials to making things, delivering to customers all on that line, my job would be to crunch numbers, to identify areas for improvement. 
simple as that. Um, I got to do some really cool projects, work with some very cool companies, Fortune 500 names, um, you know, meet some interesting people. Um, all the while, at the same time, wondering, hmm, if I'm in this meeting and they ask, you know, what you know, if they're making conversation, should I tell them what I moonlight you know, on weeknights and, and weekends? Um, that, that was a question that, that came across many times. And, and sometimes it became a little bit awkward with my bosses when they brought it up in conversation and I didn't want to. Did, I mean, did people find that cool, though? I feel like in the business world, that's like an in to be like, this person's awesome. Oh, totally. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, but it, it, it works both ways, too, because. It, it came up and it was cool in some instances. Oh yeah, you know, I'm a huge sports fan, or I'm a huge college basketball fan, and you know, we start conversations based on that, so it helped. But in other cases, it, it I think distracted a little bit. Um, I was at a meeting with a couple colleagues um, out in Denver, and it got brought up, um, and you know, it, it, the topic of conversation almost took away from. Hey, here's how I can contribute to this project, and here's here's my skill set. But you just want to talk about sports, and, and, and again, it's it's fun, it's fine, it's great. But you know, at the same time, I I still didn't know that I was going to jump in the sports full time. I, I was still thinking, you know, you know, I got to take care of my career here first. Sure. So um, it got it got a little bit um, tricky at times, but I mean, in the end, it all worked out. The reason I ask is because. Like my full time job is in the athletic communications office at Ball State. So, like if I if I have a game, I want to prep for a game. Uh, I got home late last night, so I want to be able to sleep an extra hour. Like I can I can do that, and nobody looks at me funny. Um, what's it like for you having to balance those two things? But also, I mean, the the stress from the work side are obvious, but from a broadcast side, um, where did you get the time, and how did you get the time to say? Like I need to be able to watch my stuff back and I need to be able to cut my reels up and I need to be able to do all of this stuff to get better over here while not detracting from what I'm doing to actually eat. <laughs> That's a damn good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I mean, it, most weeknights, I, I, I didn't have much of a social life. So I'll, I'll be honest about that. Common um, theme on the pod, week- so you're good. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, that's a theme in this industry in general. Um, <laughs> but it, it, most nights, I mean, I'd be doing game prep. Let's say it was a Wednesday night game. Um, I'd be cramming you know, Monday. So I'd, I would do most of the day Sunday, just try to get as much out of the way as possible. But uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, updating numbers and kind of just putting the, the final touches on it. Rewatching stuff. Um, well, let's just say I made liberal use of the unlimited data plan I got through my day job. Um, there you go. And then, you, and, and, um, uh, you know, in airports and whatnot, I would just try to watch back as much as I could. But um, yeah, it, it was during the season a bit much. Easier to decompress and cut up stuff after the season for sure. I didn't have much time to, to do a lot of video work during the season. Um, but game prep wise, it was just try to cram as much as I can. And there were a lot of days where I'm getting, you know, five, six hours sleep just to be able to balance both. Um, but again, it, it, it worked out in the sense that I could do a little, little more game prep when I was traveling. Um, I would rely, I think more heavily on conversations with coaches that shoot around. Um, but you know, I wasn't able to scratch as much of the surface of um, storylines and big picture things and program history and a lot of stuff you would just absorb by 
walking around and, and not being distracted. That, those are the types of things that I couldn't really incorporate as much because I just I had to balance both. When did you realize, uh, or when did you have the thought that, hey, I can I can drop one of these and, and pursue the, the sports passion full-time? I mean, it would have been midway through last year. I, it, I'll, I'll be honest, even though I was freelancing two years ago with, uh, with Nesson and a couple other outlets, it was, it didn't cross my mind that it would be viable for me just from an income standpoint to be able to do it full time. Um, but when I got a, a generous series of games from, from ESPNU and Fox stepped up and, and gave me more games than I thought they would, um, it, it really occurred to me that, Hey, you know, if I, if I can put this together, if I can piece this all together, this is, this is workable. This is doable. And I, I'd say it's on me about last December. And, and that's when I first thought about, Hey, I could probably step away from this day job and, and be just fine. Um, and like I said, I'm glad I didn't, I, I'm glad I had that one more summer to just, um, you know, think and, and plan and, and, you know, make sure I could have again, a, a second year's worth of, of work under my belt. <laughs> But I mean, it, it was basically midway through last year um, was where I thought, "Hey, this might actually work out." And you know, if, if you play your cards right, you can you can walk away from having to sit in an office. What's that decision process like? Uh, I mean, what kind of thought did you put into it? Uh, I know you have an agent. What kind of thought do they put into it for you? Um, are you talking to the people at Price Waterhouse Cooper about it? Uh, are you talking to your parents? Like, how how long do you slave over that kind of a move? Because um, I imagine there's more like there's probably like health insurance implications and all that stuff that get bagged in there. Uh, how do you make that like life choice? Uh, what's that time wise and 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 discussion wise like? Well, there were, you know, there were times where I'm just pulling my hair out in the middle of that season. Like, how can I, how can I continue to balance both? And I just thought, you know, maybe I could just leave right now and just dive right into sports full time. And, and I was, uh, I think, hit on all of them. I, I talked with my agent, I talked with my parents, I talked with my girlfriend. You know, they, it was all of. Can you know if you want to do this, this is your choice, um, but. If you hang on just a bit, um, you know, I think the, the message from, from everyone was if you hang on just a little bit longer, you'll be happy with the summer. You won't be pulling your hair out, worried about the work that'll come your way. <laughs> you can still go back to something steady over, over the summer. Cause that was, you know, when you're a freelancer, um, and especially when you're on a, a year to year deal, you, you don't, at least when you're starting out, you don't have a concept of, well, will they bring me back or not? And you're just, you're waiting for the phone to ring. Um, and, and obviously, you know, when you're in a position where you've been used by a network for, for a little while, you, you can feel a little bit more confident about it. So last year, I think it, it did me a lot of good from a mental health perspective to just get through it. Um, and, 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 also, just get my ducks in a row for the upcoming season. That was my first year working with ESPN. It was my first year doing any sort of consistent work with Fox. So again, I, I'm I'm a you know fresh face still. I'm a, I'm a rookie to TV at this point. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I got to get through this season first and actually learn how to do this before I can you know, even have any grand designs of oh, let's make it a full time career. Because I, I even at that point, I still thought well. Am I am I doing a good job? Am I doing 
what folks thought that they that I uh, doing the job that folks thought I could do when they gave me these opportunities. Um, or am I getting good feedback from producers? I mean, all these things I'm still thinking about, and and it's coming through my head of like, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always fall back and go back to you know the, the life that I currently have, and and nothing will change. Um, but I, I'll even say when I was working with Northeastern and, and I was doing radio for them and doing fill-in stuff for the AHL team up in Utica, New York, um, I, I was perfectly happy saying, well, you know, if I only had these two things for the rest of the next five, 10 years and all over from there and picking up freelance work, I'd be perfectly happy. Um, and it, you know, it worked out that more opportunities came my way and, and they've continued to come my way. But, you know, at that point I was, I was perfectly happy just being a part of it, even on the fringes. Let me dovetail off that uh, real quickly too. When you bring up knowing if you're doing a good job or not, uh, this is like a Richard Deitch favorite question on, on his podcast, uh, mm. especially as a freelancer, as opposed to guys that are at the time, full-time talent with like an ESPN or a Fox, what's the feedback chain that you get from anybody you're working for? Or is that more something where you've got to go start soliciting people that you've, you've worked with and producers you've done games with and say, Hey, how did that go? It's a little bit of everything. At the end of the day, I have to be proactive because I'm not staff and because I'm not, I don't have a, uh, a path kind of set forth of here's how your career is going to grow. If you hit these marks or if you perform the way we expect you to. So I have to be proactive in emailing producers who I've worked with to say, Hey, what did you think of what we did here? And, and being very specific about it, say maybe uh, there's a stretch during the game. Um, and I'll give a time code to say from here on out, um, it, what did you think about this, this stretch? Um, or even here's an example from this past uh, fall. Um, it was a high school football game. I was working and I emailed uh, one of the coordinating producers. Uh, we had a, an injury late in the game. A kid um, you know, fell, didn't get up. It was a scary situation. You know, we were all panicked in, in, in the booth and in the truck. I'm like, you know, are we covering this right? Did we do a good enough job? And I emailed afterwards just asking, hey, how did you think we, we went about covering? Was, was it good? Was it bad? Any comments? So just being proactive and being specific about what did you think here um, has helped? And that's not only with bosses, but with producers, uh, with peers. Um, you know, just, I have a couple friends who I'll, I'll send around every once in a while, just uh, stretching new material, especially on sports that I'm not as seasoned in, like football, where I'm, I'm trying to grasp a little bit at, at some of the mechanical concepts. Um, just to ask, hey, what, what do you think of how I'm setting up this story? How do you think I've, I've done with closing out this segment or, or, or setting up the next play. So I, I think it helps not just to blindly say, Hey, how am I doing? Cause that's a hard question to answer. It's a totally subjective business. Um, but when you can frame it in a way where they can give constructive feedback on something very specific, you'll get a lot of, um, you'll get a lot of leverage or a, a lot of uh, mileage out of that. I should say. Where'd you get your first, uh, I guess, break in television? What sport were you doing that, that things really opened the door for you? It was, uh, strangely enough, it was, it was college basketball. Oh, okay. Um, it, you know, cause I'm a college hockey guy. That's what that's I, that's I, what I figured. Up. Yeah. Um, it, but it was 
on Nesson, um, it was a triple header event at TD Garden, a bunch of different New England programs, um, Northeastern BU, BC, UMass, Harvard, Holy Cross. They were all there for this triple header. It was a coaches versus cancer event. And um, my agent had made contact with some of the folks at Nesson about, hey, is there any work? They, they had a college hockey package for a long time there um, during the regular season. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll, that would be a natural fit. I know the sport. I know the guys have covered the have covered the league for a long time up in New England with Hockey East. Be perfect fit. Um, but they had this event on their books, and it became, a, uh, I guess, like an appetizer to say, "Hey, you know, we'll give this one-off thing. It works out great. You know, if not, we'll see where it goes." But uh, that that event was the most nerve-wracking day of my career, without a doubt. First time on TV, like TV, TV. Um, with a stick mic and three games and it's TD Garden and I'm working with this producer and a big truck and all these things that I have no idea what's going on. I'm just trying to get through it. I have to prep, prep for six different teams. Um, that was my introduction, but it, it, it apparently passed the audition um, and I wound up doing some college hockey games later that year, which, it, it man, it makes your life so much easier when you can slide into an audition or something like that when you know a lot of the movers and shakers and can speak fluently about the sport. If I had to dive in on, on I don't know, Big South basketball or a, a Southland football game, I would be way in over my head um, if I wasn't already. I was going to say, how much do you think knowing hockey the way you do helped you uh, as well and being able, not that hockey is a niche sport, but it's not... I. I Oh, it is. You can call it a niche sure, sport. I'm yeah. not offended. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Hockey being in more of a niche sport. Uh, and I only say that, too, because I don't know anything. Like, I would be dead blind if I tried it. Um, how much do you think that that helped you out uh, in, in having a skill set in a sport that, that certainly not as many people know how to call than they do football, basketball, baseball? Oh, tremendously. I wouldn't have been doing... I wouldn't have been able to put together a reel of, of work and be able to get better at TV without the opportunity to do college hockey and without having the comfort level with the sport that I did. Um, It's, and it's not even the hockey side, it's college hockey, which has a language all of its own. Um, It's a very parochial sport. Um, You know, the same coaches, the same commissioners, the same tournament organizers that have been there for 30, 40 years. And until you kind of see it up close, it's hard to get it as an outsider. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not even saying that just to say, oh, you know, college hockey is this great thing. It's, it's, it would be just like lacrosse. I mean, I'd, I didn't grow up with lacrosse as a sport, and I, I call lacrosse play-by-play, but it's, it has a language all of its own. It has a culture all of its own. Um, so it, it, it helps a lot to be able to slide in to something that you're familiar with. So I, I was really fortunate that that opportunity was there to to fill in for Tom Karen when he went down to spring training for the Red Sox and essentially slide into his place uh, when he was working uh, elsewhere with the company. Did you know hockey, or was that something that you went to Northeastern and, and kind of fell in love with it? <laughs> it's, you're dead on. I, didn't, <laughs> I hadn't seen a hockey game in my life wow. before going to college. Okay. Um, it, it, I, the first semester at Northeastern, uh, I remember vividly, they were playing North Dakota. They had a rare game where North Dakota came east, played BC and Northeastern on a weekend and they plastered Northeastern like three nothing or something. But uh, between the fan support and 
um, just how cool the environment was for a college hockey game. I just got hooked on the sport and learned it from scratch and just absorbed as much as possible, went to every game, worked the studio at the, at the college radio station, worked intermissions when I could, uh, went to post-game news conferences, just did everything I could to kind of latch on. Because um, even basketball at that point, I wasn't, um, I wasn't exposed a ton to basketball growing up in New York City. I was a baseball guy, uh, first and foremost. Um, so going to college at a Division One school, it was very foreign to, to have that as, as part of your life um, compared to, you know, if you grew up watching college football, if you grew up watching college basketball and you had a favorite team or a favorite player, I didn't have that. So it was, I guess that was my welcome to college experience is this new sport that you know, I, I got to learn and got to love. Broad question here, um, but I'm, I, I asked it to Pete Weber a couple episodes ago, and, and this is coming from a guy who's really never called hockey. Uh, how do you call hockey, and what is unique about it in, in a sense of something that wouldn't necessarily translate from other sports that are common? I think the fluidity, um, especially on radio, um, which, I mean, if you ask me where I have the most fun, it's calling hockey on radio because it is non stop. Um, but it, 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 there's no stop start like you have in basketball. Okay. You have a three point field goal. You have a dunk, you have a layup. Okay. But basically play stops for a millisecond. Um, in hockey, it doesn't stop until there's a goal. So your whole process or, or the mechanics of building up a play is okay, they're starting in their own zone. Where, where is, does an outlet pass come from? Where are the other guys on the ice? And, and much like I'm sure you've heard this in, in other sports, to take your eye off the ball to really figure out what's happening, that's the entire process in hockey is, is knowing where everyone is on the ice or knowing where someone should be. Um, and, and one of the clear differences even between college and professional hockey is in pro hockey, they always connect on a pass. If you, if you notice, if there's an, a breakout pass, it rarely tips off of somebody's stick and dribbles into the offensive zone. More often than not, than not, they're connecting on their passes. So even calling pro hockey, you can anticipate more than you can, let's say, calling collegiate hockey um, and, and have an idea of how this play is supposed to go because you've seen it 20 times before. It's not like running an offensive set in basketball where you know, clearly there's going to be a, a pick and roll here or there's going to be a pick and pop there, or they're going to find some way to, to clear space, drive down the lane. In hockey, it's all fluid. So you have to be able to uh, have a lot of words and descriptions at your disposal and be comfortable using all those words. Um, and at the same time, just be ready to, to immediately change your cadence if something big happens. That's as close as I could probably get to explaining how to call it because it's, it's certainly not easy. What's the, well, how long did it take you to get comfortable with that? Um, to get to the point where you have a vocabulary that works and to be able to use it at the drop of a hat? Yeah, I'm, I'm still working on it. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but I'll say, this is a story. My sophomore year in college uh, was the first opportunity I ever got to call a period of hockey on student radio. And after that one period, I was so out of breath. Just knowing how to breathe while you're calling hockey is a skill unto itself. 
Um, but it, it takes a while. And I think the speed of the game can take a lot of getting used to. It slows down once you've watched a lot of it. And once you've called a lot of it with the same team, um, that's why the AHL experience was, was phenomenal because I got to see the same team every single night, got comfortable with the players, wasn't glancing down necessarily at my board to, to check on numbers. I knew who they were. Um, and I knew what their tendencies were as players. So I could, again, better anticipate what they're going to do. And from there, build on vocabulary. Um, you know, I, I would try during each game to maybe mix in a new word or a new way to describe a play. Um, and, and just, again, going back, listening to tape um, when I could was so important to, okay, did I describe that the way I wanted to? Like replaying it in my head, did I accurately say that this was pitch forked out of the zone or was it shoved out of the zone or was it nudged or pushed or swept? I mean, all these different adjectives, um, it, it, it gives you a lot of creative freedom. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be on point. Otherwise, you're not being true to yourself, how you're seeing the game, and, and to the listeners of how they might be seeing the game in their mind's eye. Why do announcers go nuts on goals? I don't... I mean, maybe it's just the way, as a fan, you feel when Fair. you're watching the game. Fair I, enough. I, I know if I'm watching from the stands, and I, and I was just watching the Beanpot on TV a couple of days ago, and um, coach's son, um, Ryan Donato had this phenomenal, um, goal where he came down the wing, cut out in front and stashed it underneath the goalie. And just the build up from, Oh boy, he's coming. Oh boy. He's got a lot of speed, man. He's getting in the net. He, he's scoring. Oh my gosh. Um, that's how it feels. And, and that's how it feels calling it. Um, especially when you've got a really good crowd there and you've got a goal horn to play off of. Um, you almost feel compelled because the atmosphere around you feels the same way to blurt out something. So I don't know if that's the origin of it or because I've asked myself the same question. Like, why does every hockey announcer say score at, at, when, when a goal is scored? It's, it's not natural compared to any other. Nobody screams home run in baseball <laughs> or basket for in basketball. So it, it, Again, maybe it's similar in football with touchdowns, but not everyone does that. Hockey seems to be the only sport where universally um, that's what you do. And I guess maybe it, when you're watching soccer in Spanish, you know, people yell goal, but that's, that's the only other sport that I think comes close. Well, like, what's your thought on, you know, like a Rick Janaret kind of guy who's a legend up in Buffalo or um, mm-hmm. and we should probably try to have like Bob McGilligan on the pod who always has like the flapjacks on a Ferris wheel type things. Um, how did all of that get ingrained into hockey play-by-play where it's not just goal, but like there's like crazy non sequiturs that people just fall in love with that get attached to people scoring goals. I mean, it, it works for some, it doesn't work for others. I, I think if you've got the personality to match it, like Rick does, um, or even um, Randy Muller with the Florida Panthers yeah. and those, uh, you know, <laughs> what he did with the Levitard show a, cu- a couple years ago with, with those fanciful goal calls. I mean, it, if you've got the personality to match it and you can pull it off, that's where it works. Fair. If you try to do it in a contrived way, it doesn't. And that's why I think you see there's a clear dividing line between those who are able to do it and those who call what, what would amount to a more traditional game. Um, a guy that if, if you want to, you know, besides Doc Emmerich, who is in a league of its own, another guy that 
has you know, the unique diction or a unique way of calling the game, with the exception of the goal call, is, is John Forslund, who I think comes up with many creative ways of describing a play or describing a save. Um, if, if you watch and listen and, and write down how he's describing things, I think you'd be surprised at the, the flair, the language that he uses, um, but it's in a very toned-down way compared to you know, a radio announcer or some, someone else who might have a catchphrase or something else that they use. I'm curious, too. I mean, obviously, you're really well-versed in hockey because of the amount of time that you've spent with it and done it as well. Uh, but, did, oh, well, Northeastern, I guess, had football when you were in college, didn't it? They did, and then they cut it my third year. Okay, so, so I never really got a chance to work on it. Uh, what's it like doing football uh, professionally, and then particularly on television? Because I, I mean, did you do a lot of football on TV before you you started doing it recently? No, uh, and that's you, you want to talk about where you're feeling nervous and <laughs> wondering what in the heck I'm doing here. I mean, calling football on on ESPN three last year and ESPNU this year. Um, yeah, that's a sport that I've had to learn pretty much from scratch you know, the last two years. Um, that's that's one area where I, I felt coming into TV, I knew I had to learn it. Um, but again, it's, and you you do football in Ball State. It's it's hard to that's a mechanically difficult sport to call because there are so many different outcomes when the ball is snapped. Are they going to throw? Are they going to pass? Is it going to be a trick play? You have to describe um, geography on the field. You have to describe maybe, especially for radio, how the ball is caught or how a runner is using his feet to either stutter or cut or or slide. So there are so many different um, ways that you can call a game. But at the end of the day, you have to have the basic mechanics down. And, and that was that was hard to learn having not done it in college and not having seen a lot of football, even growing up, because I didn't have a team, really. Um, that I, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> How about doing it on television, too? I feel like that's one of the trickier things, um, and being able to uh, figure out the nuances of just calling a game on television, because uh, I've never done football on TV, and I think, like, I, I mean, I know it would be an adjustment if I went and tried to do it tomorrow, uh, as far as what you say, when you call plays, what you say about it, um, marrying those two things together and coming out with a product you're happy with. It's a little bit more forgiving in that sense. So on TV, you have the luxury of the viewer seeing the picture. So you don't have to be as immersed necessarily in the details of, of what they're seeing. You add, as I'm sure you've heard play-by-play guys say before, you add context, you add... Um, a little bit of flair or a little bit of uh, background to, to what the viewer is seeing. So it's very forgiving in that sense. And I got away with, I think, learning on the job because, okay, I, ha- I had the basics down. Um, and I can, and I've watched enough football where I, I know the rules and I know the basics. Getting to that next level description, getting to the nuance of the in game strategy or working with my analysts to bring out the best in them that's where it becomes difficult because I can, I can be reserved and use fewer words, still get the point across. Uh, and I think in some cases it actually works to your benefit in TV when you do that, but it's about picking your spots and knowing when you can um, add a little bit of your own personal touch 
um, that really lets you stand out. Because if I look back at my football reel from the first year, I, I still go back and I say, well, what in the heck were you thinking there? But <laughs> it, it's all part of the learning process. And you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to learn on the job because you can't say that a lot about a lot of places. Um, but uh, with the folks at ESPN were, were kind enough to, to let me learn and at a time fail on the job and pick myself up and get back at it. I have two more questions for you. Um, the first one is I uh, went to your website and I found your upcoming schedule of uh, all the events that you have uh, that you've called this year and that you are calling this year. Um, have you ever called tennis before? And uh, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing to prep for it coming up in March? Uh, well, I've never called it before. I my only claim to fame is in college. I drove the the frat bands for the club tennis team and took all their <laughs> swag for free. Um, I was a scrub in high school, scrub in, on the club team in college. But yeah, I, I watch all the majors, and I'll watch some of the minor tournaments um, during the year. It, I think for tennis, it's I, I'm again never called it before, so I'm kind of going in there with with a uh, fresh eyes and almost. I, I, I might have to go back and rewatch like the Aussie Open and how you know you guys like Chris Fowler called it, or even back in the day when Dick Hemberg was on CBS, Ted Robinson on NBC. You know, those guys are at the height of that sport for a reason, um, and they call it tremendous game. So it's it's going to be a little bit of imitation <laughs> to start before I can find my own voice in it. But um, but it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to try something new and different. Uh, again, it's a sport where I, I kind of have a little bit of background in, so it helps somewhat. Um, but it'll be just like calling football for the first time. There probably will be a mistake or two in there. I feel like the niche ones are fun sometimes, just from the standpoint of like the second you start to get a hang of it, you, you can kind of let loose a little bit. And as long as you don't stick your foot in your mouth, you have a really good time with stuff like that. Well, that's the risk, isn't it? I mean... I the risk of being exposed as someone who hasn't called it very much. I don't want to necessarily say too much. So I bet as I approach it next month, um, it'll be the first two rounds of the Miami open, um, with I mean, phenomenal tournament to get, get my feet wet in there. But yeah. I, I would imagine I would approach it with a, a lot of caution and, um, try to still show my personality and my own voice, but maybe not go, too far in um, how I describe things or even just talk too much. Cause that's a sport where you shouldn't be talking very much to begin with. So uh, it, it'll be new and different uh, and, and fun to, to try something a little bit uh, challenging. Now, let me go all the way back to the beginning if I can, because uh, this was actually the first nugget I had and I, I wanted to get to it off the top and I, I just didn't. And then we, we, uh, we kept going. Uh, but obviously you won the Jim Nance award when you were in college for the, the best collegiate broadcaster. Uh, did you get to meet Jim Nance out of that? <laughs> I did. There's actually a funny story uh, behind that. Um, so Jim is obviously out calling golf um, most of the summer. So when they present the award, and, and the, the year that I won it was the first year they actually presented it in person in um, North Carolina. Uh, John Chalesnik, who's a great guy at, at FTAA who helped set up that award, um, he actually wanted it to be a surprise. So he asked me, hey, are you available for um, this weekend where they're having, we're going to put the finalists in and we'll, we'll announce the award there in, in North Carolina? And I had already been, I'd already scheduled a trip um, kind of separate to that. So I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I can make it. Um, you know, if 
if I'm like one of the final two, you know, I'll try to alter my travel plans. And so, you know, waited a couple of weeks and John's like, well, you know, we, we can't really wait any longer. We were actually going to make it a surprise. You were actually going to be the only one there. Um, and we were going to present it to you there. We were going to tell you you won it. Um, they've changed it since then. So they'll announce it in advance and it'll be a nice, uh, nice deal for the person to go down, but it, they wanted it to be a big surprise and, and I kind of ruined it for them. So sorry, John. Um, but, but to long story on, on that those a couple months later, um, uh, Jim mentioned in his note, um, in June at the awards ceremony, you know, I would love to, um, you know, get to, get to meet me. Um, a couple months later, um, I got in touch with, uh, his, uh, I think publicist and set something up to meet them in October. They were going to be covering a Patriots game for CBS and, uh, we're staying in Providence at the time. So really easy for me to drive down, um, from Boston to Providence. I had a game that weekend for the student radio station up in Orno, Maine, which is like a four and a half hour drive from Boston. I mean, it's just from there, never mind an hour south in Providence. So, um, but managed to make it work. It was on a, a Thursday. Um, so they were in for meetings. And I went by the hotel where they said they were going to meet me. And I, I figured, okay, I'm going to either have coffee or, or drink or something like that. Um, and we, go on from there and chat for a bit. And then I'd hit the road and drive up to Maine. Well, I get there and about six o'clock or so and no word from those guys. And they weren't there yet. So you know, running a little bit late, six thirty comes and goes figure. Well, you know, NFL coaches, I think Rex Ryan was the coach of the Jets at the time. He's oh, probably yeah. talking way too long. <laughs> um, so, okay. Six o'clock comes and goes seven o'clock comes and goes seven thirty comes and goes. I'm like, uh, you know, what do I want to do here? So I'm emailing, um, uh, his folks and finally they come by and he is apologizing profusely. He's with, uh, the whole, uh, CBS crew with, with Phil and Lance Barrow and Mike Arnold, that whole a crew for CBS. Um, he's apologizing profusely, uh, and he's holding in his hand what appears to be his dry cleaning. And he says, Listen, you've had to wait for that. Please accept this as as my apology for having you know having have you sit here for an hour and a half. It's the guy's CBS Sports Blazer size forty four with the CBS logo on the <laughs> on the left breast of it, and I still have this thing in my closet. I'm just I don't know what to do with it. Um, but I mean, just totally. Th- those guys were phenomenally nice, and I actually sat in on on their production meeting um, and got to meet Lance and Mike and, and Phil. Those guys are tremendously nice um and, and you know we took a picture and you know, swap stories and even then it was, it was circling back to not knowing what you wanted to do in this business i actually said to them probably stupidly oh yeah you know i'm studying economics and i'm thinking of going into consulting and you know the sports thing is i'm having a lot of fun with it and we'll see where it goes you know i, I was totally no conviction about wanting to make it in this industry <laughs> and and he said at the time Dude, you know, you do know that you can make this in this industry, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. I got this, you know, <laughs> degree I'm working on. It'll, it'll be great. Um, so probably shame on me for not seizing the moment there, but um, <laughs> it all worked out. And and those guys, it's funny. Years later, I'm working with a producer from Fox uh, who had done work with CBS back in the day, and I, I told this story to him. Lifts out his phone at our dinner before our game actually text Jim relaying the story and then says, Oh yeah, great guy. 
he's got a bright future. <laughs> <laughs> Years later, uh, he, he even remembered. So, it's, uh, but it, it all worked out in the end. Have you put the blazer on? Uh, it, I have. It does not fit. Let me assure you. <laughs> I'm a size 37 on a good day. I'm a slim dude, probably too slim for my own good. But uh, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. That'll stay as a nice keepsake in in the in the closet forever. What's it like sitting in on those meetings, too? By the way, um, how much of a? I mean, what do you soak up as a fly on the wall in in, in that production group? I, I think you before working with TV crews, you don't have an appreciation for these guys are on the road and have essentially become family to one another. So there are a lot of inside jokes. Um, there's a lot of just banter back and forth. And, you know, if I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, 21 years of age, just like, what in the hell is everyone talking about in here? Um, but they, it's interesting. They, they pre plan, and having seen this with working on a smaller scale with VSBNU and FS1, you pre-plan so much. And for those NFL games, you have to anticipate so much. So records that potentially are going to be set or storylines that they want to convey or notes that they got from coaches that they can tie back to video packages or graphics. I mean, it's hours and hours worth of work of um, you know, getting your graphics coordinator to, to be on the same page making sure the tape guys back at CBS headquarters in New York can pull up something to have it ready. And, and the fact that their physical tapes that they're having to review uh, was surprising to me in the digital age. But seeing the mechanics of that and getting to experience it firsthand years later um, gives me a lot greater appreciation for how those NFL games are done. Even the smaller regional ones that are going out to 3% of the country are massive productions uh, never mind the A crew for CBS. I mean, they are small armies worth of production crews that go out and do these games, and you actually understand then why each person has a certain role and how it all um, comes together. Even something as simple as a runner. You know, oh, why, why are these you know, high-priced play-by-play you know guys with these huge contracts? They need runners to come everywhere and a stage person to help fix their tie and make sure their hair's not sticking up six different ways. Oh, yeah, that actually makes sense. We have those things so that we don't look like fools on television um, or that the broadcast can work smoothly uh, if they need something run from one truck to another or one truck inside of the press box. So all the different parts and pieces that you look at from the outside in, um, working out in the end it's, it's kind of cool to see uh if people want to get in touch with you how do they uh, how do they go about doing that well if you care to follow my you know, ramblings on college hockey and <laughs> sort of those things um alex underscore faust on twitter um if, if you want to email me um you can uh, alex.faust at gmail.com i'm happy to share that um, so long as you don't send me spam that's fair um you, but, just, you uh, just got signed up for a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, um, but uh, you know um, that comes with the territory. But yeah, I, and I have it on my website too. It's an open door. You know, I, I don't, I don't mind people getting in touch. Um, but yeah, those those two things. And uh, if you want to go on Instagram and LinkedIn and go to other things, fine. But I don't have a Facebook, so don't try to look me up on there and, and friend me randomly because I, I made my New Year's resolution to delete my Facebook account. And it's the best decision that I've made in a while. That's impressive. I'm, I, I, I'm. I'm kind of proud of you for that. That's I don't know if I Dude, can do that. I'm telling you, I'm I'm an evangelist on this now. Get <laughs> off of the Facebook 
it, it will make your life a lot less stressful. It's my ultimate time kill. If I'm just sitting there and I'm bored, I just type in. It's like and my fingers just do it on their own. That's what I'm saying. It's I deleted awful. it from my phone, and that was the first step. It was like this, you know, the 12 step get out of addiction. <laughs> I deleted it from my phone, and then I realized, man, I really don't care what anyone else is saying on there anymore. Why don't I just go ahead and delete the whole thing? And so I went and did it. It's been great. I don't. I do not care one bit anymore what people are because mostly it's just junk that people post on there anymore. Um, it's fake news. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's nice. To, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> um, it's nice to keep in touch, but I, I, I'll be honest about this. I found myself being so lazy with people who I had met through this industry and people who I met, who I knew from college. I was so lazy about actually keeping in touch with them. Um, that even something as simple as sending an email, like maybe I wouldn't have done it. Because, oh, you know, I know what's going on with them. I've seen their Facebook stuff. I don't need to actually, you know, communicate with them. Yeah. But it's made me a lot better with actually reaching out to friends or reaching out to colleagues in this industry. Um, just asking them as simple as, hey, how you been? What have you been working on? Um, hey, next time I'm in town, you want to grab a drink or something? That it really being being. Uh, lazy about being in touch with people. Uh, I, I got away from that. That was my New Year's resolution. That's a great point. Um, and taken uh, for granted, I think, by a lot of people. But, uh, Alex, I've taken a ton of your time. So uh, I don't know what I can ever do to repay it for you. Um, but I appreciate you giving me some time and, uh, and and sharing some knowledge. Well, next time, don't call hockey a niche sport. That's what you can do. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I, thank you. Hey, Joe, as I said to you on email, honored to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. That is Alex Faust here on Play by Playcast. 39 episodes now in the books for the podcast. Uh, our appreciation to Alex and the other 37 guests. Adam Amin was a two-parter uh, back, I think, episodes 10 and 11. Uh, the 37 other guests we've had on this podcast that have uh, made it possible. If you've just found us and you'd like to go back and hear some of the other episodes, they're all archived, so just scroll on back through on iTunes or on Stitcher or however you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can check out any of our conversations, be it Carter Blackburn or Andy Demetro or Episodes 1 and 2 or Dan Schulman or uh, anybody else we've had the chance to sit down with. You can check those out all on back archives while you are inevitably preparing for some sort of broadcast in a hotel in a tournament setting. Fun time of year, folks. Doing this uh, podcast right now, I'm sitting on my bed in the Renaissance Hotel, ninth floor, downtown Cleveland. Uh, the Ball State Cardinals men's basketball team just won in thrilling fashion. It's the quarterfinals of the Mid-American Conference uh, men's basketball tournament. Uh, knocked off the Western Michigan Broncos. It was the Cardinals' first conference tournament win since 2011. And I'll be honest, they've got to win two more to go to the NCAA tournament, and I don't know if I'll be able to take it if they get that far. Because, like, to win the first in, what is it, six years? Like, I was going bananas in my head, and then I realized... It's one win, and you have to win two more. Uh, hey, March goes mad, guys. It's fun. If you're a broadcaster out there and you're in the midst of March Madness or you just did a conference tournament, uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it uh, thoroughly because this is this is what the players do it for. This is what we as broadcasters do it for as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to our game with Akron coming up tomorrow night and then hopefully a MAC championship game uh, the day after that. It's always a fun time of year, and things do go crazy. Uh, I, our women's bracket yesterday, Ball State got bounced on the women's side. Three of the top four seeds were eliminated uh, in, in the first day here in Cleveland. So you never know what's going to happen. You've always got to be prepared for it as a broadcaster, and it always puts you in some sort of fun, different situation 
where you've got to learn to control your breathing, control your voice, control your tempo, uh, live in the moment, and enjoy the moment as well. So to all of you out there in the midst of March Madness right now, best of luck uh, over the rest of this weekend. And those of you that make it to the NCAA tournament, best of luck with that as well. We will continue with our NCAA tournament theme in the coming weeks. Bob Harris, the Duke voice, will join us as he embarks on his final March Madness as the voice of the Blue Devils. And uh, Tom Wormy, who does the team stream for uh, CBS and Turner Sports, did Syracuse last year on Duke the year before at the Final Four. He will be a guest in the upcoming weeks as well. Looking forward to it. Again, subscribe, download, leave a rating or a review if you enjoy the podcast or if you hate it. Be honest. We're open to everything here. And then uh, hit us up on Twitter as well if you'd like to interact. We are at PXPCast, and this music is Marshmallow, which means it's time for us to get up on out of here. That does it for the podcast. We'll talk to you next week right back here on PXPCast. See you.